SummerSlam 2002. Do you want to fight? Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Shawn, face back! You can't wrestle anymore! I want Triple H! HBK is dead! I know your every move. I've heard your every word. I know you well. Rick Flair is Jericho. Got nothing left to prove. Your threats I find absurd. I am your hell. The Un-Americans, Booker T and Goldust, the WWE Tag Team Championship. Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio, Olympic gold medalist, six one nine. The Undertaker, Test. The American Badass, the Un-American. Here lies your American Badass. Edge, Eddie Guerrero. I will fight till there's nothing left. Till my Chris Benoit, Rob Van Dam, the Intercontinental Title. Cause I will fight till my final breath. Just the great one, the fall. next big thing, The Rock. Me. Brock Lesnar, the WWE Undisputed Championship. Brock Lesnar, you want to play mind games with The Rock? You want to throw The Rock's title down at his feet? You want to beat up on Hulk Hogan on SmackDown? The blood of Hulkamania is on my hand. And Rock, the blood of you is going to be on my hand come SummerSlam. Just bring it! everybody to a brand new episode of the draft diaries i'm of course meals and i'm here with two very special guests first of all gotta point out the always recurring the 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 if i'm conan o'brien what would you be on this show blue um the return white guy andy andy um circus no that's it no 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 go ahead Zah. I, I know exactly who you, it was Andy Richter, I believe it was. Andy Richter. I so, yeah. yeah. That's, all right. Yeah. So, I was bugging. Yeah. So, yeah. You, the Andy Richter, um, slightly less rotund, but still pretty funny. Um, you got J5 on the show. J5, what is up? Uh, fine. You see, you caught me working, you know, on <laughs> the project behind me. So, hurry up. I got to get all right. Well, all right. Listen, and we also have another special guest on the show. First time on any of these mm-hmm. dives. 
you got none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Novak. What is good, bro? Doing all right. Doing all right. Uh, watching the Yankees in the background here. Uh, they're tied up with the Guardians. We'll see what happens there. But otherwise, I'm doing okay today. It's Friday. Good weekend ahead of us. Vibes are up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're here, obviously. Draft Diaries. We're spinning back to 2002. Thus far, we've gone over the WWE draft. We've gone over the exit of Stone Cold Steve Austin and the the fall of the NWO. And and I guess Eric Bischoff, too. Damn, that was a great episode. Now that I think about it. Go go rewatch that now that I think about it. Um, we talked about the summer of Brock Lesnar and his appearance on the roster. Um, and this episode, I guess it's a it's a massive point in this kind of draft era this post-draft ruthless aggression era and novak you're here because of course no stranger to ruthless aggression at all right mm-hmm. podcast <laughs> um but we're here in 2002 we had a very strong inflection point during all this process it is SummerSlam 2002 some could say the greatest SummerSlam that ever existed um some could say some of the best matches we've ever seen in SummerSlam history all on this card um but we'll be covering it later today and we'll be covering it on this show but first as i do with all first time guests on the show novak the year is 2002 where are you who are you <laughs> how old are you <laughs> and just kind of um, life in 2002 yeah um thinking about it you know i was into the summer of 2002 i was only 10 years old um i turned 10 in December of 2001. Uh, so by then, you know, it's going into fifth grade. Um, just kind of enjoying the wrestling, really, because I know, you know, that summer, it was obviously getting really hot with Brock and with still the post effects of the draft. But really, Brock dominated that summer. Uh, so did Shawn Michaels and Triple H, who we'll obviously talk about at length here. And, you know, I think most, if most are familiar with me by now, it's not surprising. I was obviously hugely into wrestling. I've always really been. Um, so, you know, in 2002, my interest is still building up, still getting, still pretty young, but I'm picking up on a lot. I'm enjoying a lot. I'm starting to remember, you know, even as I say this, I still remember like, you know, watching some of these shows, especially the one where um, Brock gave that bear hug to Hogan and put the blood all over his chest and whatnot. Um, so, and you know, this show was probably two weeks before I started school, um, for fifth grade. So, you know, it's just like the tail end of my summer just ending right now. That is amazing. Um, I was 12 in 2002, Justin, I believe 15, 14, where we're at. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, come on, just starting to get into girls. Yeah, 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 we're here in the summer of 2002. Yeah, it was just booming. Um, so we always do this on the podcast. What happened in 2002? Um, I have a lot of hmm. I have a lot of yeah. I have a lot of reverence for this topic because we're talking about something that's near and dear to me, and I think it's near and dear to both of you guys as well. We're talking about food in 2002, and not just food disgusting fast food disgusting uh, <laughs> right, right. Ew, disgusting. 
you know, well, okay. We're not going to call it disgusting. At the time, 2002, it was fucking awesome. So we're going to talk about everything. Not everything. I don't want to say everything. But we're going to definitely talk about fast food trends in 2002. Um, what were you guys... If, you, if there was one meal that you guys loved as a kid, what was it? Uh, it had to have been every Friday, my mom would take us to McDonald's for dinner because that was like the, I'm not cooking tonight niggas that was that day for us <laughs> and I thought I was like a big kid I, w- I would get the quarter pounder meal and I would fuck that shit up with a Sprite that shit was a that shit was a delight I, I ate it like it was gourmet <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you Chris uh, you know I was a big chicken selects guy at McDonald's um, I always really enjoyed those. Um, they obviously don't exist anymore, though I've heard that they are still prominent out in Europe. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, but yeah, I was a I was a big chicken select guy. I actually, it's actually really funny. Um, I got put on to chicken nuggets and chicken McNuggets and McDonald's only because when I was younger, I think when I was like five, I had ordered my mom had ordered me a um, like a hamburger cheeseburger happy meal or whatever and they accidentally gave me nuggets um and i just kind of enjoyed them ever since and luckily the first bit of food that you be i mean you talk about it of course fucking mcdonald's talking about 2002 and mcdonald's there can be only one revolutionary concept <laughs> that can emerge out of 2002 and mcdonald's uh, I, I would love to share it with you hold on that <laughs> fuck you're in luck <laughs> With juicy, ripe tomato, Come on, crisp leaf of lettuce, a big, beefy patty. Ah, the irresistible, big and tasty. One of many incredible tastes. Every day, only on McDonald's dollar menu. Why did he Listen, say, ah, like it? My God. He said, ah, like <laughs> you had didn't. Just a revelation. Cheap. <laughs> 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 big and tasty. First of all, not only just a big and tasty, the dollar menu, which kept me fed as a kid in junior high school. It's a whole meal for me for like three dollars and eight cents, in my opinion. I, I mean, college for me. I have, and my wife hates this. I still go to McDonald's and order a McDouble, small fry, four piece, and a drink. Five bucks, really six out here. And she's like, she's like, Justin, you make way too much money to eat this. There is, first of all, there's no way. <laughs> Unless New York is just up in the price ridiculous, there's no way that's still six dollars. Like, yeah, it, it, it's all a dollar. It's like it's it's, it's, it's yeah, it's close. To, well, the the drink puts it over, but uh, if I just got that without the drink, lately I've been drinking water, which is just like, you know, what the fuck? What, what you might as well just get the high C, bro. You're already eating bad. Yeah, oh, we don't. Yeah, we don't. We don't go to McDonald's for McDonald's for water. No, you've already committed to shitting your insides. Like, why even? McDonald's doesn't. If I were to get the quarter pounder I was talking about earlier, like a couple seconds ago, then I, yeah, for sure, I'm I'm shitting. But if it's like the McDouble, the four piece with the sweet and sour sauce, and the damn small fry, that's a meal. I don't know why they don't sell that. That's like a real meal. They're not going to sell unless some rapper uh, <laughs> creates something related to it. Novak. That's the little baby meal. We'll talk about it. Yeah, I mean, dollar menu stuff. That was, for me, since I was a little younger, that was me, my friends. When we'd ride our bikes, we'd go down um, this one road where it would take us sort of 
sort of near a highway, so it was kind of like off of it. But I like lived like right behind a mall at the time. Um, so we just would ride our bikes across the street, go to McDonald's, spend like five bucks each, be full, and then just ride our bikes back and deal with the consequences later. But that, that was kind of just like the the era, right? Where it's like mm-hmm. Slurpees were fire. Like I like the the dollar menu was fire, and this really changed the game because like like Mills has on screen the two pies they don't do that no more. The two nope. pies was was a savior for the hood yeah. in the day, and 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 it's not even like now. I feel like it's not even worth the value of whatever. It's like a dollar sixty nine now or something on the, for one. So it's like first of all inflation. There's nothing that makes me feel super old. Like back when your folks used to be like, we used to get this for twenty five cents on the dollar. It, nothing makes me feel older than the dollar menu, which is now an archaic. They tried it with the one, two, three menu. It was like, <laughs> All right, these these will be a dollar. This is two dollars. No, this is three dollars. You're never replacing the dollar menu. Oh, you can't. Um, you can only add. You can only add more cents to it. Agreed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that was a double entendre, but. <laughs> go off um all right second little bit fast food 2002 of course uh the the these people have not stopped innovating what people who get incredibly high and want food uh want no (laughs) and of course i'm talking about taco bell um hold on i want to make sure that i get the right clip uh we got here the king of clubs welcome to taco bell's new club chalupa is the king of clubs a winning combination of marinated all white meat chicken and smoked bacon wrapped in a crispy chalupa shell raise the stakes with the king of clubs and think outside the bind come on listen my chalupa how are you guys fans of taco bell my viewpoint of Taco Bell is so different because I looked at that chicken and I said, there's no way I was eating that with chicken back in the day. Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, for, for me, actually, might, it might be surprising, but I actually didn't grow up around any Taco Bells. They wow. had everything They had everything else except for Taco Bell. Like, we got, no. we, got a, okay. we got a Chipotle in 2008, and that was, like, the biggest thing ever for everybody around me and, like, my high school. But we never had a Taco Bell near us. The closest Taco Bell to me and my hometown now is still about like 20 minutes away, which is crazy. All right. Next on our food palette, um, Wendy's. I don't know. I wasn't always a bit. Well, actually, I'm, I'm lying. I don't know. I didn't have a lot of Wendy's around me. I didn't have a lot of Taco Bells around me, neither, to be honest with you. Um, so I agree with what you had going on, Novak. Taco Bell wasn't a New York City thing. Um, we might have a couple, but not enough. And the places that they are, I particularly don't want food or to travel there to get food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wendy's a little different. Wendy's a little bit more. There's a little bit more Wendy's all around. But um, ultimately... Wendy's introduced mozzarella chicken supreme. Um, gosh, let's see. Let's see if I can share this without my entire thing dying. Um, mozzarella chicken supreme from Wendy's. Love your hair. Nice shirt, Al. Thanks. 
it's uh when you need a Wendy's mozzarella chicken supreme, you just feel good. Great tie. Thanks, my mom gave it to me. With its whole breast fillet, mozzarella, and parmesan sauce. How you feeling? Me? I'm feeling great. It picks up the whole day. Hey, you want to go to the zoo? I do. Try Wendy's mozzarella chicken. You did. A nice day. Penguins are in town. Remember, Wendy's pickup window is open late, so you can eat Wendy's. He dead? <laughs> no, does is he? Dave Thomas is definitely dead. He's dead. Meals. He looked ninety in that commercial. Of course, he's dead. Oh, I'm, I thought you were talking about the, the the um the guy from One on One who was it was walking around. Oh no, nah, he definitely was getting the commercial bag. Where is he? I don't know. <laughs> but I thought he was dead for a second. I was like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. The mozzarella chicken supreme. You guys, Wendy's guys. I am definitely a Wendy's guy. Same. Uh, spicy chicken sandwich, me. Uh, spicy chicken sandwich, the, the 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 deluxe version they had with all the lettuce and stuff on it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the frosty is legendary. Vanilla frosty is very underrated. People don't talk about that enough. I don't like their new fries. Novak, I don't know if you had their new fries yet. The new fries are ass. I like them actually. That's surprising. I I don't mind them. Um, I've actually always really liked Wendy's fries for whatever reason. I think McDonald's is still number one for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I've always I've always enjoyed Wendy's. Wendy's is actually one of the places I talked about Taco Bell not having like any there was almost too many Wendy's around me there were like there were like three of them within like a five or ten mile radius including there's one at the mall that I was in the mall food court so we had because we, we had our food court we had a Wendy's at one time we had a Popeye's um there was a Nathan's Villa Pizza a lot of other places like that but we had a Wendy's and a Popeye's in our food court yeah, it, it was same same here in Virginia. They were all around. And I think one of the oldest Wendy's we had was like the old version of the Wendy's that had the slope window. Yes. It, it looks super like old school, old time. And um, it's funny. I just moved and there's a Wendy's literally walking distance away from me. I have not been to <laughs> Wendy's my whole eight years in L.A. I have The Wendy's has always been in bumfuck parts of L.A. suburbs. And I'm next to a Wendy's. <laughs> And I'm taking advantage of that. Junior bacon cheeseburger me. Uh, well, you've moved to a bumfuck suburb. <laughs> hey, that, but that's the thing. That's the, hey, it's affordable. <laughs> affordable. By the way, by the way, growing uh, so this was also a staple growing up was the McDonald's play place. Would you, when you guys have kids or if you guys have paint, would you ever send your kids into a McDonald's play place in this era today? Absolutely not. No, not now. Not now. <laughs> back in the day, huh? Yeah, get your ass in a ball pit. I'll be back. I'm going to go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was definitely like, can I just try it once? I took off my shoes, made the quickest run through, and had to put back on my shoes. Yeah. <laughs> like McDonald's is always the last trip, and everyone wanted to leave at this point. Um, so, yeah. I don't even know if they still have play places. I think they've always just expanded it for more seating. Yeah. Um, so it's you know again staples of our childhood. Next up, KFC. KFC. Uh, this ain't the double down era, is it? No, that's not the double down. We're far double down. Maybe like ten years ago. Um, but we do have a little bit. It's a, it's a little revolutionary. It's a little. It's <laughs> It's a little something. Um, let me see if I can pull this up. You know, Jason Alexander's hocking it. 
<laughs> you know it gotta be good. It's on the biggest uh, television show in the world. And Barry Bonds. <laughs> You've solved the mystery of my curveball, but do you have any idea what's in those mystery meat nuggets? Not a clue. No one does. <laughs> Try these, Barry. Corn chicken. Corn chicken. Oh. <laughs> Crunchy. Juicy. I think the Colonel hit a home run. KFC popcorn chicken is back all summer. Hurry in and try an individual size for only $1.99 or a family size for only $6.99. And as for that mystery, it's yeah. chicken. Let me, let me tell you, popcorn chicken was not in my hood. I'll tell you that much. Nobody was eating that really? shit. Yeah, maybe you know, in New York. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, um, I've, I've had, I had the popcorn chicken when I was growing up too. So, popcorn chicken. Listen, what are y'all dipping in? You didn't have anything to dip it in. It was just yeah, pop- you didn't have anything dipping. It was just you didn't. Yeah, it wasn't a nugget. It wasn't. It's too small to be a nugget <laughs> to actually dip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, they were. You know they were. They were selling y'all the pieces of chicken that was at the bottom of the fucking thing. <laughs> I'm sure it was. I'm Probably, sure it was. yeah. Just rolled up a piece of chicken just <laughs> like this and threw it together. So the next one comes from according to eat this eat this the most popular restaurant chain in 2002. Um, this might surprise you. I frequently, I don't freaking eat this.com. I'm sure they have a delightful staff, you know, who loves food. But according to eat this.com, this was the most popular restaurant chain in 2002. I introduce you, Arby's new ultimate BLT sandwich. Oh, God. I'm dead. Hey, baby. What? It's your appetite. On Arby's new Market Fresh Ultimate BLT. <laughs> With bread so soft. Come yeah. on, bread. Bread was after soft or fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Arby's new Market Fresh Ultimate BLT. Pepper bacon? Why is he why is he coming in his pants? What is this? <laughs> First of all. The fact that BLT would be like part of the most popular. First of all, that looks incredibly regular. I'll just say that. Yeah, I, it does. I don't have Arby's around me. I've never eaten Arby's. I'll admit that I've never eaten Arby's ever in my life. They don't. I'm, I'm here to say right now, Arby's gets a really bad rap and a really unfair rap. I think. Hmm. As please, far, please do tell. As far as fast food goes. They do have a very a varied menu that's not just the roast beef sandwiches. Some of it is actually pretty like bespoke in the fast food arena. They've been wilding lately, though. <laughs> I don't know. If you see, I don't know if you see <laughs> some of the concoctions they have now. I'm not speaking to that. Back in the day, the five for five beef and cheddars that saved people. That was the that was better than the dollar menu. I'm pretty sure that's probably why it ended up as number one because it was actually really affordable. The curly fries are on point. You mm-hmm. can't do that. To me, in terms of fries, it's McDonald's, Rally slash Checkers, and then Arby's. They got they got it for me. They sell the mm-hmm. Arby's curly fries in the frozen food section. That's how popular they are. So I get it. I just don't believe that bread and pepper bacon is very fresh. What I get. It. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to agree. I've also, since I've been out here in St. Louis, there's a comparable chain out here called Lion's Choice. Which wow. kind of does like the exact same thing. Um, I don't. I've had both. I don't mind either. I definitely lean towards Arby's because their curly fries are great. Um, but Lion's Choice isn't a bad 
thing to have. I'm sure if anyone is familiar with St. Louis who listens to the show, um, they'll know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's something I've been exposed to the last four years or so living out here. Yeah, A plus who is in our in our Discord is definitely going to snap his fingers and be like, yes, because he he did read it <laughs> out there for um, about a oh, okay, awesome. Um, but but yeah, Arby's. The thing is, and this is my this is my thing with food in general. I feel like okay. I feel like social media shames people for eating things that they normally probably would have eaten when they were kids. And Arby's is like number one for that. Like the beef and cheddar, like that is a that hey back in the day that was it. I haven't had one in a minute because I don't know what it would do to my stomach. But I'm a, I'm I'm a agree with that. That might get somebody's go. That might that might be what they want to do. Like I feel like people have such weird opinions on like it's october now candy corn why is that why are you outcasted for liking candy that is disgusting that's why it's disgusting to you <laughs> like it's not disgusting to somebody else like why do they gotta be like joked for that that doesn't make any sense <sighs> i don't eat cold food what, what am i gonna be outcasted i've never had arby's in my life maybe one day that'll change it's not even on i, I don't even think there's any around me hey novak where do, where do you stand on coleslaw I like it on sandwiches. As a side, it's okay. There you go. People get people get up in arms about coleslaw. I'm like, this is not worth the argument. This, <laughs> if you don't like it, just yeah, don't. No, exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great element on barbecue sandwiches. Yes. Absolutely. 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 I made I made some chicken, uh I made some chicken barbecue. Um in my in my crock not crock pot, I made it in a, a Dutch oven. And I and I made my own custom coleslaw with pineapples and all types of stuff in it. It's, it's perfect because the barbecue sandwich is spicy. The coleslaw cools it down. It's perfect. On the, as a side, it's whatever. You know who got the best coleslaw in the world? I don't. I haven't eaten this in years. KFC. KFC. KFC got the best coleslaw in the world. KFC. It's pretty good. But listen, listen, my friends. Of course, with all this delicious food, you need some stuff to wash it down. Surge. <laughs> <laughs> no not yet so we have some of the most innovative sodas of 2002 oh god i bring you of course because he couldn't i, I this is one video i actually cannot play with sound because it features the band papa roach um <laughs> i'm not gonna say it's because <laughs> papa roach, but it definitely is um pepsi blue the berry flavored Pepsi, blueberry flavored Pepsi. This is a very. What were they playing? Cut my life into pieces. The, the Alistair Black theme song. Oh yeah, I remember this. Pepsi Blue fusion of berries with splash of cola. Fusion why is Timberland, of why is Timberland right there? <laughs> why is Timberland in the video? <laughs> because Pepsi. Motherfucker. Um, Pepsi could have anyone they want. What were you guys, and this doesn't have to be from 2002 because I know it's like there's a, a there's a lot of different years. What is your guys' favorite off spin of a soda or, or pop? I don't know, Vac, are you pop? Soda. But I mean, I've, I've met too many people who call it pop now. So I've been out here in the Midwest for almost 10 years, for almost yeah, 12 years, I should say now. At this point, what is yeah. your favorite offshoot of a soda? You know, actually, it's funny. I don't drink a lot of soda. I never actually have. I've been more of a, you know, like a fruit juice drinker 
Um, like if I'm going to McDonald's, I'm always getting a Icy Orange, even now, especially when they have the freestyle machines. Um, so yeah, I I can't really answer this, although I think I did try Pepsi Blue one time. I think it was just okay. Yeah, it's just, it was it was I. I think my favorite. I just I, I remember the uh, the vanilla Coke surge though. So. <laughs> That was actually up next. Coca-Cola Vanilla came out in 2002. Um, <laughs> I don't have the video. Well, actually, I do. First of all, <laughs> actually, I do. They had several videos for Coca-Cola. And you can really try to see that Coca-Cola was trying to reach all demographics. You mind if I, you mind if I play this, uh, J5? What? Listen, they're clearly trying to reach all demographics with this. Coca-Cola, the Afrocentric Coca-Cola. Put your hands together for Miss Jaguar. Ride. Shout out to Jaguar right getting the post MTV plug bag. He's drinking a thing. No way. There... First of all, Hulk did not help her do that. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, Shout out to Coke. They they introduced Coca Cola Vanilla at this time. Um, <laughs> first of all, and no one in that room will drink soda or swears by soda at all. They'll tell you is the Babylon thing. Um, but what what is your favorite? So my favorite offshoot of a soda is probably and the most memorable one is going to be Sprite Remix. To me, that was like, and that comes out two thousand three. But to me that was like wow remix like i get it like this is like reaching to me as a kid um who was a fan of like remixes diddy did the remix j-lo got remixes you know craig mac puffy all these other remixes and shit like that so that always appealed to me j5 do you have a favorite offshoot of a normal brand of soda uh cherry coke cherry coke dr pepper Cherry Coke or Cherry Pepsi. Those are like my... If I see it, even though I know I don't drink no fucking soda, if I see it, that means that you're big time. All right? Like, mm-hmm. that means that you got some money because you had to get some money to get that stock at your, at your place. I, I, I started to love... And I don't know if this started in 2002, the, the big drink machines where you could pick the flavor. I think these started around that time, I feel like, because because that's when I would, I would see the most Cherry Cokes and the most like cranberry sprite and all this all the weird offshoot color flavors so um but yeah cherry coke or cherry cherry uh pepsi is probably my favorites absolutely um yeah i'm a big fan i, I wish they bring back sprite remix i'll probably bring it back again yeah they brought <laughs> it back for lebron what remember like it was a couple of years ago but lebron brought it back he, he brought it back but it was, yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> he brought it was a brand deal but <laughs> Please, I need that back. Um, just great memories as a kid. Um, all right, you know what? We have enough time for food. Thank you guys for, of, of course, indulging. I hope I made you a lot more hungrier listening to this. Um, let's get into the era of 2002 in professional wrestling. And from last episode, which we talked about the summer of Brock to this episode, it's only been about two weeks, but we still got a lot of stuff to talk about. This is the catch up before we get into SummerSlam 2002. These are all the little bit of news bits. These are all the little bit of pieces of things that we got going on in 2002 in professional wrestling. The first note that I have is the Intercontinental Championship and the European Championship have been unified. Rob Van Dam, Jeff Hardy had a ladder match 
is this the last time we ever, will ever see the European Championship, considering recent events now? I highly doubt it. But uh, <laughs> what a, I mean, can, can you even name like some of the most popular European champions that have ever been in the company, other than D'Lo Brown? <laughs> Don't say um, I know, I know, Eddie had it at one point. Eddie I can't remember it. if it was. I can't remember if it was. I think it was after. I think it was he after beat, Mania X Seven because he beat Tess. Yep, yep, he beat Tess for it. Why Tess had it? Um, I yeah, I don't, I don't know why Tess had it either. Uh, but besides that, I say Christian, King of Europe. Come yeah, on. yeah. There you go. Um, William Regal, sure. <laughs> Apropos, <laughs> I feel like he had it the most out of all of them, right? I think I actually think it might have been like either Jeff Jarrett or Mark. Why would have no. given that to him? No, it would have <laughs> because European. Um, uh, God. So it's, it was actually it, it, Regal was tied for the most. I'm looking it up now. Regal was tied for the most with four reigns with D'Lo Brown. Yeah. Why did he have it that many times? <laughs> <laughs> I think they just like the idea of the Europe. The inception of the European Championship, I need a story behind. Like, why was it created? Like, back in the day, being the Euro Continental Champion, I used to go around being like, I'm the Euro Continental Champion. I got both belts, baby. That was like, yeah. Thing. Yeah, because Kurt, Kurt Angle was uh, the Euro Continental Champion going into Mania 2000, but then he lost both titles because they did that two falls match. Gee. An amazing quote that said, I'm the first <laughs> Euro Continental Championship ever. Forget about D'Lo or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, D'Lo Brown, never heard of him. Um, let's see. Uh, God, notable X-Pac has been here a few times. Shane McMahon brings it back from, you know, and, well, actually he gives it to Midian. Um, yeah. Val Venus is here. Chris Jericho is here. Crash Holly is here. Matt Hardy is here. The Hurricane. Um, and the... Well, the last before it turned to WWE. I mean, Diamond Dallas Page had it. Poor guy. I mean, it's unfair. He has retired in between episodes for us here. Yeah, <laughs> you definitely did. Um, Spike Dudley had it. So you know what? European Championship. If they do bring it back, the video package is going to be hilarious. Oh <laughs> yeah, very. How they try to sprinkle <laughs> it with like actually <laughs> just a rich history of. Um, we have at least two WWE Hall of Famers who have been <laughs> European champions. Oh, they're going to um, act, gonna have to act like D'Lo exists. They have not pretended like D'Lo Brown has existed in over a decade. I'm saying, right? Like, yes. Like, that's crazy. And I don't even think um, he's ever said anything disparaging about the company at all. He's just... No. Yeah. He's just been working in Impact. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm so... That's a good point. Um, next bit Hulk Hogan is wiped off the face of the earth in WWE. He is defeated by Brock Lesnar, and as we noted before, the, the signature blood across the chest um, moment. Despite rumors of the Vince McMahon feud supposed to be happening at SummerSlam, he's out until 2003. And the rumor is, or at least the discussion is, he doesn't like how he's being used. <laughs> about Four or five months into his plan, he clearly knows that he's not the main eventer. He's not the guy. This is a company that has a ton of guys. And at this point, he begins to see himself out a little bit. 
and, and he just actually right before a major Australian tour, he was like, "Now nah, I'm out." This is it. Well, it's easy to see that. I mean, much like Austin, not very enthused with where he's going at in the company. There's this big new star that they're trying to make, and I mean, I think it says a lot, and we'll talk about it in a sec, I guess. But you know, who did stick around and try and make sure they, that they made this guy? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's see. I got another bit of news. Are you ready for this? It's non WWE news. Okay. Ring of Honor crowns its first ever champion. Do you remember the first ever Ring of Honor champion? First Let's see. You guys can guess. Don't 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 look it up. Just try to guess. I'm not looking it up. Era. It was okay. it was uh it was Loki. Yeah. It was Loki. It was Loki. He won it in a 60 minute Fatal Four Way Iron Man match. It was Loki, Christopher Daniels, Spank, and Doug Williams. Oh, Doug Williams. Yeah. Okay. Xavier was was in one of them. One of these big matches. Um, are you guys watching Ring of Honor? Have you heard of Ring of Honor? Around? Well, I don't know. We're kids at this point. So. No, no, I had only heard of Ring of Honor when Punk, uh, Summer of Punk. That was uh, around the time when I heard of Ring of Honor. I went back. I mean, Torrent, BitTorrent was huge back in the day. So that's how I caught up on a lot of the stuff that I needed to watch. And I was on DVDR at the time um, following wrestling observer all of that stuff at the time so that that really was what opened me up to what was going on i was on the rh boards for a minute like i was i was all over yeah i didn't i didn't wind up hearing about ring of honor until about three years later during the during or before the summer of punk and then i started to get a little more into it in 2006 i did go to a show one time oh man um, in december of 06 in edison new jersey the main event was the briscoes against homicide and samoa joe that sounds fire. I also, I'm pretty sure I saw Sammy when he was working as El Generico. I definitely saw Claudio and um, Hero work against Daniels and Seidel for the ROH tag titles. And I'm pretty sure they did a switch that night. I'm pretty sure Daniels and Seidel won. Um, and there were a couple other matches that I saw. I think, I'm pretty sure Roddy was there. I think he faced Shingo, which was pretty cool. That's fire. Um, but yeah, that my my ring of honor knowledge only started a couple of years later. Okay. All right. Very cool. But ring of honor, it's now cooking. It's beginning to cook with grease a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're getting at, out of the WCW ECW's dead era, we're seeing the rise of TNA and ROH um, growing up as, you know, I wouldn't even say alternatives, but well, actually I guess I would say alternatives. I don't know. It was something else that you could view. And it was another place that people could go. Um, and a lot of people went to TNA. Um, the Global Warning Tour. Um, right after Hulk Hogan gets absolutely smashed on SmackDown, the entire tour heads out to Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne. Ten- it's Melbourne. Melbourne? Yes. The, Mel- R-, the R is silent? Yes. You sure? Yes, it's Melbourne. Anyone tell Michael Cole that? Um, oh, I mean, WWE was ignorant of anything other than America for a year. So hell uh, no. Didn't. But I know they, they said it right when they actually went there a couple of uh, maybe a couple of years ago. Oh, OK. Fifty six thousand seven hundred thirty four people in attendance. Um, the matches on the card are as goes. Rikishi defeats Rico in a kiss my ass match. 
Mark Henry and Randy Orton defeat Devon Dudley and Deacon Batista. Um, Jamie Noble defeats Hurricane Helms to retain the Cruiserweight Championship. Chavo Guerrero and Hardcore Holly with Maven defeat <laughs> Billy and Chavo with Rico. Um, Kurt Angle defeats Test for some maybe national pride. Um, <laughs> Storm. <laughs> Lance Storm and Christian of the Young Americans defeat Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio for the WWE to retain the WWE World Tag Team Championships. I feel like that match was fire. Did they put this up on the network? Uh, I haven't seen it. No, I think they. I, I think remember. if they, I think if they did anything, they might have put the uh, the main event the in hidden gems. Event, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, I'm gonna get to it. Um, Edge defeats Chris Jericho. Tori Wilson defeats Stacey Keebler in a Braun Panties match, of course. Um, the Rock defeats Triple H and Brock Lesnar in a triple threat match for the Undisputed Championship. This is the weeks before SummerSlam, which is hilarious. Um, yeah, I think uh, they might have just put the main event. I don't know if they would uh, at this point even bother showing the rest of the show. I mean, it's yeah, regular ass SmackDown, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't even think Raw went. Yeah, Raw didn't even go except like Triple H on this show. Yeah. Um, so that was that. Speaking of Triple H, Triple H in an interview speaks about Stone Cold Steve Austin leaving for the first time publicly. Oh boy, <laughs> he couldn't <laughs> wait. He couldn't wait. He said, <laughs> "I have two contrasting reactions. One is for Steve Williams." I feel worried about him as a person, and I hope whatever it is that he has in his head can be sorted out. The stuff between him and his wife and what down in San Antonio, who knows what happened. Oh, wow. <laughs> All those things, I feel bad for him, and I hope that things work out for Steve Williams, the person. But as far as Stone Cold Steve Austin goes, <laughs> it's hard for me not to be angry at what he did. He owes something to everyone here in this company from top to bottom, from the guy who answers his phone to Vince. If I was Vince McMahon, I don't know how I could look people in the eye. Anyone who I have given a responsibility to, like stockholders and employees, say we're getting behind him and we're pushing. Hold on. <laughs> Either way, um, so we're getting behind him and pushing him to the top. He doesn't know. Essentially, is like, yo, he's dead. Like. I don't know how you could ever get behind him or have a return or anything of the rather. Um, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin or trust him in any light. Uh, I mean, you could say that for some people that have done this. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it, it, it's there's going to be people that are company guys. Triple H's always been a company guy. I don't think that he I don't think he's too far removed from saying he. I think he felt like he said something in the in to that effect about Sasha and Naomi too, where it's where it's like, hey, it's it's a it's a it's a rough situation, and I think he was he was really like very measured in his response here. Mm. Measured, agree, really. yeah, yes, absolutely. Because I I think in a way he felt like you know you don't want to rock the boat. This guy's still bigger than me. But I still want that spot. And Triple H has always wanted that spot. And even if he didn't get that spot, like he was still going to work for it. Again, I mean, I think around this time, actually, I don't know if there was much communication then. I do know that there was some, I know, I guess, between JR and Stone Cold Steve Austin, there was some communication between the both. 
Um, but I wouldn't say there was like massive communication between Stone Cold and WWE, at least not yet, but I, they would be in the future in a couple of months. Um, next bit of news. This is just kind of show stuff to make everything make sense. Um, literally after he beats the hell out of Hulk Hogan, Brock Lesnar, well, Brock Lesnar is officially poached from Raw and officially becomes a SmackDown wrestler, or at least in this instance, he becomes a SmackDown wrestler. Yes, before Hulk Hogan, he actually becomes a SmackDown one. So he's officially SmackDown. You know, the contracts are what it was. Um, everyone is able to jump to whatever brands, and Brock Lesnar is now officially yeah. awesome. I feel like that was a Heyman thing. He was he was doing uh, SmackDown at the time. I feel like he had a grasp on the character, and it made that made the most sense, honestly, for him to for him to go with, with Heyman. I mean, Raw was it was going to be a Triple H show, <laughs> you know, like there was no room for that, and they weren't ready for that. It, could, could you believe that the first time they had ever had a program was like when he returned? Right, that was the first time. Yeah, yeah, that's nasty. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> like that program. I did, I was like, uh, uh, uh. I they were trying to make us feel bad for uh, Triple H's arm, and they were just booing him and just being like cheering Brock for breaking his arm. I was like, "Yeah, this ain't going the way I wanted it to." And then he broke Shawn Michaels' arm and like, yeah. all other stuff like that. Like it just it didn't hit the way it was supposed to hit. Um, not to be outdone, Stacy Keebler is now officially on Raw. So there you go, one for one. Um, she does a table dance and takes her pants off as she celebrates coming to Raw. And nice. of course, you know, Jerry Lawler is losing his fucking mind. Um, and the final bit of news, the hardcore titles 24-7 rule was effectively killed. Um, 24-7, no more, no more hijinks of running around backstage. None of that crap. It becomes strictly a championship. And then literally probably like a couple weeks after this, it'll be unified into the Intercontinental Championship, and then the Intercontinental Championship will also be unified into the World Championship. So, What a strange strange unification where the hardcore title now has Intercontinental lineage. It's it's like so weird. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, they they pretty much did it. It was was the night after SummerSlam. They did it with RVD and Dreamer. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, these these two former ECW guys. Right. They were in MSG. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they had um, Mick Foley come out and present it like a or something. No, they eventually down the line they present something to Mick Foley like here's the hardcore championship that I unified. He does this and then Randy Orton kicks him in the face like two years later down the line. Yeah, like and Foley Foley brings that gift back during the Edge thing, so the continuity was like perfect. To, to he he presented it to Edge when he and Edge were working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we had a. Uh... I remember that was in the lead up to One Night Stand 2 because he and Edge teamed up to face Dreamer and Funk. Funk, yeah, there we go. Yeah, Terry Funk. Absolutely. So that's a little bit of the catch up. Um, Let's get into SummerSlam itself. It is emanating live from the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Didn't they have Evolution there? They did, yeah. They did. Yeah, they did. They did. They had evolution there when the damn seats were falling apart, and <laughs> that place is always. I, I remember. I don't, the only thing I really remember about Nassau was the asbestos problem that they had. Jesus. <laughs> I know because I remember that being like a huge thing on the all the New York news channels. I forgot what year it was that they dealt with asbestos, but yeah. asbestos in your wrestling program. <laughs> I know. <laughs> After SmackDown tonight. Um, yes, 
SummerSlam 2002 or on Peacock season 15 of SummerSlam. (laughs) (laughs) Nassau Coliseum. Um, It is a sold out event. It is a stacked, to me, this is like, to me, this is a solid card all the way around. Even the matches. It's one of the best pay-per-views of all time. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. even matches that like, and and I say the only thing that's probably like missing from this card is a women's match. Like they this they just decided not to do anything with the women's championship. Tristrata shows up on the show in favor of Lillian, so Lillian can kick Howard Finkel in the groin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like, but she isn't even the women's champion at this time. I think it's Molly Holly too. Um, it was just such a different time, you know. Like, yeah, that 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 is a glaring. That is a glaring um, omission on the show. Yeah. But when you look at the car, they had every over act that they had on in the company on that card. And then yep. some. And then some. Um, we kick off the card. It is one of the hottest starts ever to a pay-per-view. Ever. Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio. One of the best 10-minute matches I've ever seen in my life. What were you guys' thoughts on this match? You, you've seen it live or just like now, 20 years later? Yeah, um, you know, I for me, the thing that I most remember about this is probably the finish because it's a really good one and also the beginning because it's it's so unique in the sense that, you know, they had Angle, they had Angle come out first and then Mysterio's music hit. You didn't know where he was and then they cut to him. Oh, he's behind him. He's going to slingshot into the ring and get it started here. So that, that was, I thought that was a really, really fun start to it. And this is just a, it's a fantastic open. And it really... <laughs> It sets it sets up a lot of good stuff to come for SmackDown in the fall. Right, absolutely, and and it was just such a sprint. I mean, it's only like I think it's actually nine minutes, not ten. Like it, it literally. Yes, it's it, nine twenty. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like a sprint, and you know, just from the moment, and these both these both these guys are over. Let's just be clear, and they oh, are yeah. they're going crazy. Like the I think the um and Ray's just so crisp, and it's it's funny that even to to the, today. Like now, he's still as crisp as he was at that at that show. Um, like the, he hits a springboard leg drop that I thought was fucking awesome. Um, the the counters into the into the ankle lock, the uh the the really close West Coast pop two count that got everybody um towards the end, which was like you know it almost got me too, and I knew who was gonna win. But like it 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 was just such a, a such a great match, man. And I did not just want to give a shout out to Kurt Angle too. Kurt Angle is still this is like year three of him wrestling. Yeah, like, you know how <laughs> insane that is. This is like year three. The the point where they not only trust him enough to help him introduce a new character onto the show, but he's having these kind of matches and he's like telling these stories and just being an all around great performer during these matches. And and he manages to mix a great. I think what well, Paul Heyman with writing Kurt Angle always managed to get the right mixture of you get you still get goofy Kurt. But you get the idea that he's absolutely a fucking insane wrestler and a machine, yeah. and he can go. Yeah. and 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 he can go at every time. And this match, it's it's incredible from top to bottom. I always recommend to anyone. It's a great way to start a pay per view. Like if you're like, oh, let me turn this one on. You're not. You're never going to like skip this ever. Um, but Kurt Angle defeats him with the ankle lock submission. I believe he counters it out of the Hurricane Rana. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. To a Ankle op submission, Rey Mysterio taps, we kick it off, you know, SummerSlam in a great way. And then I don't think, I think Taz and 
uh, Michael Cole would not speak again until the end or damn near close. Um, next matchup, Ric Flair versus Chris Jericho. Mm. This is a match that I don't know. I, I look at Chris Jericho during this moment and I'm like, damn, he's really like, I think he signs a new contract around this time, but he's still post mania slump in a oh, way. Yeah. Big slump. And he signed that contract because there was nowhere else for him to go. Let's just be clear. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is true. This is absolutely yeah. true. There, there is no, <laughs> there is nowhere else to go, but he's still in this big um, post mania slump. And Granted, it's an amazing. I think it's a good match, and I think for Ric Flair at this point of his career, being an active competitor right now, like this is probably one of the better matches that he's had since he's returned, and one of the more notable matches. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Jericho loses again. Yeah, he's he's lost at WrestleMania. I believe he lost a blow off match, Hell in a Cell, with Triple H that no one remembers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judgment Day. Yeah, he, he lost against John Cena. He's lost against, you know, he's not winning these big ones. But, I mean, I think from this point, he's not really getting flustered in any kind of way um, regarding, like, position on the card. I mean, maybe he is. I don't know at this point. He's on Raw now, um, but he's still on the show with Triple H, which means he will not be the biggest heel on the show. Yeah. He'll be anywhere close to biggest babyface or heel. But this match... Was kind of odd for me. Like it was, it was, I was like a cool down already. Just the pace that they were working. Um, I believe this was Flair's first SummerSlam match ever. Um, he, he believe so. He, oh no, he was there in '92, but he didn't wrestle that year. But um, it, it was, I don't know. I just I'd like the like there was like the wrist tape stuff, and and it just it was just back and forth chops, and I was like, I I, I kind of like zoned out. I was like, damn, what are they doing? Wait, what's the story they're telling here? <laughs> Rich Flair was 52 when he wrestled this match. This is this is insane. <laughs> I mean, he's he's always been someone who I, I'm just in awe of him being 52 and still being able to kind of like wrestle to this level um, and, and evoke a reaction and have a kind of believable match because not only this, he wrestles for like the next six to seven years after this. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rick Flair defeats Chris Jericho via figure four leg lock. Um, Jericho taps out, get the win. Um, taps, two taps and two matches on this. Very rare. You ever see two very, very yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of stuff backstage with the, the SmackDown versus Raw. Did you like the fact that there is this real, true, true, real rivalry between both shows that actually seemed like believable between Eric Bischoff, who I guess in this round, I mean, he's the. I don't know. I guess sneaky. You can't really trust him. He was part of WCW. Had still had that vibe on him, general manager. And and Stephanie McMahon on SmackDown. I guess she was trying to be a face. I don't know if people were ready yeah. to believe it as of yet. <laughs> it took a little while to get there, but yeah, yeah. I I kind of I kind of liked it. Um, I thought you know because they made it part of the show where it was something that was genuinely very different. Um, because, you know, they had the WCW stuff the year before with the Alliance, but they never really had, you know, unique rosters because they would just have the, you know, the same cast of characters working Raw and SmackDown each week up until this point. So I think that 
it gave a it gave a different sense to the entire show and how it was run. And I thought that the rivalry between Stephanie and Bischoff is probably the best GM rivalry that they had besides maybe Teddy Long and Eric Bischoff in fall of 05. Um, but besides that, I, I, I enjoyed it just because there are a lot of like one ups. There was a lot of one upsmanship going on. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. It, it was really cool. And the, and the thing is, is that at this point of the rivalry, it wasn't grating or like overly weirdly sexual yet. Like it, it, it yeah. was, at, at one point, Bischoff and Steph, it did get to that point, and I was like, "What are we doing? Like, you can have, yeah." yeah. It, it was just written like by teenage boys. It was it was just so weird to put her in that position with Bischoff. But here, um, I actually think this that was one complaint I had about the show is that there's too much backstage stuff, and I think it's because they don't do shit like that anymore. That I find that the shows flow a lot better in in this era of wrestling than it did on this show. Like, I, I it feels like like I said in the other episodes, it feels like SNL. <laughs> to me, where it's like they keep going to the back. Right, right, right. So after the Jericho uh, Flair match, Brock Lesnar's backstage with Paul Heyman, essentially Heyman giving Brock Lesnar the pep talk saying, You will become the next big thing tonight. And you know, it's a great uh it's a great promo and a great lead-in for the main event. Um, next match we got Edge versus Eddie Guerrero. Um I'm always interested. I feel like, of course, this isn't their best encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have another match at Unforgiven? I still think that was also unforget, very forgettable in the grand scheme of things. And it isn't until they hit that no DQ match on SmackDown that they really get it. And that's ends up being the match that essentially breaks <laughs> and yeah, and destroys yeah. the rest of his career. Um, but I think it's uh, to me. The this series of matches always this is like the introduction of Edge trying to prove a point to me, uh, and not necessarily like trying to prove something like he's trying to dispel any rumors, but he wants to be known as that good match guy. Mm-hmm. And even these and he's you know he's in the ring with one of the best performers ever, and it's just like it wasn't hitting this way. Mm, we could do that. Oh, we could do that. And then you get to this big crescendo moment where he pulls out all the stops in that no DQ match on SmackDown, breaks his fucking neck. Yeah. Uh, so to me, I like this match. It wasn't their best encounter, but it's still pretty solid. Um, by all means, I love the frog splash to the arm. I thought that was unique. Yeah. Um, the drop kick, uh, counter to the spear was really good toward the end. Um, I, I, I thought that again, like the psychology was there, even if it wasn't like the hottest match to me, like it's still, it's still fucking Eddie Guerrero. You know what I mean? And I think these were the matches that made edge who he was and, I think to a to a, a gift and a detriment. Like I've always said, this Edge overthinks his matches. He always thinks about his matches. You look at the I Quit match he had. Uh, you know, with with Finn Balor, it was I was like, okay, Edge is definitely helping book this. He's he's trying to pull out all the stops and make it like a like an epic. You can see that here, and he he was working with somebody who was just so meticulous with the way that they with, they did their matches and and Eddie Guerrero. Well, I think once he got the handle on the character itself, because I still think this Edge is pretty, still pretty characterless. I think he's mm-hmm. as the identity of Edge. It's like young up and comer stuff. But once he gets the character in tow, I think a lot of things become clearer for him. And maybe he doesn't have to do as much as he does in these matches once he gets that rated R, you know, character going. Yeah, and you know, for for Eddie, really, this was a really good job of getting himself established because keep in mind he only came back i think it was about three months ago 
mm-hmm. in this in this current era. Um, he had that one really rare showdown with The Rock on mm-hmm. Raw. This was- after being away for much of 2001, because um, right. he was he was fired, I believe it was. Yep, um, right. and. and- to have a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin, which could have led up to this pay per view, to be honest with you. Yes, yes, I completely agree with that. And you know, up until this point, you like I, I like the Latino Heat stuff, obviously with China. It's very memorable content and whatnot. Uh, the stuff, the early stuff with the Radicals, but Eddie really didn't. I don't think found his true form until this series with Edge, and it obviously culminated with that great No DQ match. But this was. For Eddie, I think just as you know, important of a platform him to, for him to work on because unless he worked SummerSlam 2000 in a match I don't remember, this was his first SummerSlam too. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I thought I thought this was this was good, but it's just you know, knowing that the new no DQ match is much better, even with hindsight, you know, it's 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 pretty solid though. Absolutely. Um, next we got an interview. The Un-Americans are interviewed by Jonathan Coachman. And I want to get you guys' thoughts on the Un-Americans, the trio of Christian, Lance Storm, and Tess, and what they were during this era. And like, were they an actual, how come they're as, as I guess, as loud as the boos were, um, why isn't this group remembered as anything or anything? They don't last that long, do they? Like, I feel like they didn't really last that long. Yeah, it was it was a couple of months because I know Christian and Jericho become tag team champs later in the fall. Right. Uh, but yet it only lasted a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think, to be honest with you, I was going to mention this before, before and during this match because I was thinking about it. Tag team wrestling in the company since probably the match where Triple H tore his quad and they lost, and the two man power trip lost to Jericho and Benoit. It kind of, it kind of fell off the wagon a little bit. Yeah, right. And I think that up until the creation, obviously, of the WWE tag team titles later that fall and SmackDown, groups like the Un Americans, they were kind of just there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were here. They lost the championships to Hogan and Edge. They won them back. Um, you know, they were kind of existing. They were on SmackDown. They got moved to Raw. Um, but I'll say this in terms of their opponents, it'll be, it leads into the WWE Tag Team Championship match, Christian and Lance Storm versus Booker T and Goldust. I'll say this Booker T and Goldust, probably one of the more underrated tag teams. Agreed. Agreed. Like, mm-hmm. that, to be honest, of that decade to me, because I think one, Booker T is such a formidable tag team competitor and a man who's able to kind of like maneuver. He can do singles, he can do tag teams, he can do kind of whatever. And Dustin just being really just naturally good at what he does they had the character thing down in terms of the, the they intri- they they managed to get the relationship and how they work together down at the end of the day and then also in the ring i think i don't think they've ever had a really bad match even when some and they've had like situations and stuff go bad i remember the what's coming to my mind is the christian and um chris jericho match where the the rope breaks and they're all trying to figure out what the hell they do with the rest of this match <laughs> with this bullshit DDT or bullshit dropkick. Um, but Booker T and Goldust are really, really good here. Like, I'm like, damn, these, they're rocking. And they're really, really over. 
And I think what got us us there and what it's the same reason why uh, rock and sock worked. It's the same reason why, you know, the the, the odd couple pairings work is that you have to have the one character in that that could get sympathy for that hot tag and get sympathy for if someone's picking on them. And that was Goldust. And, And Goldust had been kind of out on the island for a while and they put him with Booker and they did booked us. But in the end, it was Booker protecting him and being a bigger baby face for protecting Goldust and, 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 and giving him, you know, that rub that way. So when you get, when you put them against like two, you know, a, a team of heels that were, were really like, again, super easy heat to, to get, this is post nine 11, you know what I'm saying? Like un-American just seemed like such a fucking layup for them to do anyway. And I think that's why, like, I think that's why they weren't as big is because like anti-American sentiment, it went, but so far, because then we started doing the Iraq war and people were just like, we don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like the, the un-Americans were, there were people that were, that might've been fucking with their message. You know what I'm saying? So right. um, like it, it ended up, you know, working out at this point for Booker and, and Goldust because they had such a big heel team to get heat off of. What were you guys thoughts? This is a very big aside. What are you guys, this is a referee for the match. What are you guys thoughts on Nick Patrick just in general? The referee never cut the mustard. He could never cut the. It, it, it felt like it was too fast paced for him. <laughs> I dislike him so. I hate his counts, and the 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 chicken AEW does that now. The um, I forgot her name. Aubrey oh, Edwards. Aubrey. Yes, she does that too. Where you lead with the elbow instead of coming down with the hand. If it goes to three, it goes to three. I mean, they're supposed to kick out. But, like, when you lead it with the elbow and then the head, I'm like, bro. That's a very nitpicky thing, but I'm like, bro. You can see the two count coming from a mile fucking away. Yeah, because then I they'll think, do yeah. this. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was like, because then you'll see them do this. And then it's like, oh, you know, because the elbow comes out first. As opposed to in the, you know, as to actually call it thing. It's to save themselves so they don't fuck up the match. <laughs> I, th- I think with Patrick... The only thing that I could really remember at this time was, oh, he was the the crooked official from WCW who was working like with the NWO. So they were kind of, and the previous year they kept that in mind. I think the the way they used him in the Angle Austin match in particular was a great way to use him. But that only gets you so much rope. So I just thought after that it was just like, okay, he's just kind of there. You think he got mad that they never used that crooked referee shit ever again? He was like, come on, Bischoff's owned in Raw. I can't be like crooked ref calling shit for Bischoff. Well, being- yeah. Well, well, but you got to be back to normal. You can't be doing that forever. <laughs> but yeah, I, like- I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. You got you to gotta come up off that eventually. I'm surprised that they kind of never delved a little too further into it just because of the Bischoff connection, but he was ultimately on SmackDown anyway as a referee. He was never on Raw, if I recall correctly. Right. He was right, like right. the he was the lead official on Raw on SmackDown rather than Earl Hebner was the lead official on Raw. Right, right. And then he eventually leaves for whatever reason. Yeah. Is, is there a Nick Patrick shoot interview I need to listen to or something? It's <laughs> a great I feel, question. I feel like he got some stories. Um anyway, Tess shows up and big boots the shit out of Booker T. <laughs> 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 and the un-Americans win the match. We get to a lot of heat for this, um, but still great showing for Booker T and Goldust. I mean, it's one of the best that we've ever seen. Um, we go to the world, no longer New York, the world in New York City. Nova, actually, Novak, first time on the show. Have you ever been to WWE New York or the world? 
I actually did go there once. One okay. time. I it was it wasn't during a show, but I did go there one time. Good, great, food good. Who was there? I don't think anyone was there. It was it was a random afternoon that we were just that me and my family were just in the city. We decided to just go there for lunch because it was whatever. It was fine. <laughs> I, I, I had a I had a perfectly fine time there. It was when it was WWF New York. It wasn't the world yet. So this was like in its within its first calendar year, I think, of existing. Are they showing like WWF shit on the screens? Like, what are they doing? I think they were. I think they were replaying something. I don't vividly remember it, but I think they were replaying something that day. Oh, you could. I mean, you could have been there, and Al Snow could have been serving you chicken tenders. You never know. <laughs> Bro, we need to come up with some sort of activation to bring back WWF New York for one day. Um. <laughs> all right. So let's see. They, you know, apparently WWE New York, Nidia and Jamie Noble's there, and Nidia literally makes out with some random guy. Yeah, they're, Noble- they're doing like a kissing boy. contest or something like that. You like that boy? Get that tongue down, boy. <laughs> like that boy? Yeah. Um. To which you know they they sh- they cut to Bischoff and Stephanie still in the same room watching the same show. Um, saying Bischoff says a woman like Nidia knows her place in this business, and Stephanie McMahon says like that just on top, you know? And I'm just like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, they lead into Chris Benoit versus Rob Van Dam for the Intercontinental Championship. Was the belt belt blurred out for you guys? Yes. Okay. It was, because it it still had the Scratch logo on it. Okay. Okay. And they just never touched that up in post-production, I guess, even though they still can. I think they can now show it. Um, but for a while they couldn't. They just never changed the DVD rep, I guess. Oh, okay. They, they probably was like, "Man, let's let's retire this shit. <laughs> I buy no new belt. <laughs> let's wrap this thing up." Um, so the story behind this match goes that Chris Benoit was the Intercontinental Championship on Raw, the Intercontinental Champion on Raw. He jumps to SmackDown. Stephanie McMahon is supposed to get this very important contract, and it's this big convoluted thing with Don Marie, Stacey Keebler, and stuff about who's supposed to deliver the contract. Yep. yep. Keebler ends up becoming this double <laughs> double agent double for everything. Yep. <laughs> Never delivers the contract to Stephanie McMahon. Um, but eventually, we learned this contract was supposed to be because Rob Van Dam is supposed to get a rematch for the Intercontinental Championship, and Stephanie McMahon was trying to rip it up. <laughs> Before it got to Eric Bischoff, <laughs> very convoluted. Makes kind of sense, but kind of not, uh, not enough. Um, so it gets laid out. It's Rob Van Dam getting his Intercontinental Championship rematch against Chris Benoit. Pretty much the brand that wins this. This is an interpromotional match. The brand that wins this um, will take home the Intercontinental Championship for their respective brand. This is a to me. We got the main events on this show. To me, this is such a good match. And that how aggressive and intense and hard-hitting, like, they're going in this match. This is the first time I've ever seen Rob Van Dam lose his hair bun. is scrunchy. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're going in so hard on this match. That Rob Van Dam hits a frog splash to the back of Benoit. Like, they were going in. I, I, I love this match. I, I think I love that they double down on the fact that like RVD is getting outclassed pretty handily for a good 90% of the match. 
and the crowd was still behind RVD to make that comeback. And it was to prove that like, okay, if he can be grounded, he can be stopped. But how can Rob Van Dam get out of it? And and I thought that for like, this is a 16 minute match. And I think their RVD gets like maybe three minutes, four minutes of actual <laughs> offense. And, but he ends up winning the match just because he just, he, he just had that sheer will of uh, willpower to do it. Yeah, this is a, this is a really well put together. match. I think on a card like this, where Angle and Mysterio, Edge and, Edge and Eddie, Michaels and Triple H, and Lesnar and The Rock get a lot of the attention. This is so, this sort of falls victim just to how stacked this card is. This is a really, really good match, though. And kind of like how history is laid out. <laughs> of course, <laughs> because... yeah. That too, yeah. Yeah. Um, that obviously is a ginormous factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's a, this is a really good one. You know, they got a lot of time. It was very aggressive. Rob Van Dam hits the frog splash to win the Intercontinental Championship, bringing it back to Monday Night Raw, even though Eric Bischoff would fucking get away, <laughs> unify it like literally a month later. Um, but a really, really good match. And Eric Bischoff celebrating. And Stephanie McMahon is like, you know, she's mad about the loss, but she's got something up her sleeve, which ends up being whatever happens the night after summer. Yeah, with, uh, with Brock and getting him to be exclusive to SmackDown, taking the undisputed title. Yep. Um, let's see. Test versus Undertaker is the next match. I, mean, I actually I was like, like Damn, Undertaker was doing anything for this company at this point. Yeah. <laughs> this is his, to me, this is the year where he's like, like you just said, he does anything for this company, but this is like one of his best years. He's working it is, with yeah. at a high level. Like, I'm like, yo, this guy's doing everything. Like, he's jumping, he's on Raw, he's on SmackDown, he's on both shows at, at some point. Um, he's having a, a show stealing match with Ric Flair at WrestleMania. He's having great matches on Raw with Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy. He's in this big feud with Stone with um, Kurt Angle and The Rock. He's you know now because he's the American badass. He's feuding with Test. So I ask one question: How come Test? How come never Test? Did Test never? Did Test work for you guys as a as a competitor? Do you guys believe that Test would have something going on in the future? Were you guys ever big on Test? He was a chump. <laughs> chump. You got your girl took and then you lost the feud. You're a chump. <laughs> and then never just he's never recovered from that. No, he never did. He never did. <laughs> yeah, they had they had that um they had that one exchange, I think, when Tess was with Albert and Trish, where he had made some comment towards Steph, but other than that, like his first like couple of months were all right. I liked his ECW run, um, but up but at this point it's like he's still doing the shtick from the Immunity Battle Royal, and he's yeah. still heal obviously. So yeah, I mean it just it, it didn't never... work. Go ahead. It didn't it didn't really work after like I said like the, the first like year or so. After yeah. that it was like okay. And I yeah. never really felt at any point during his career that being Canadian was a big part of his character. <laughs> like a big part that of his too. Life. Yeah. Um so nonetheless he's Canadian. I don't even think Canadians hate America that much. Or maybe they did at the time. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um I don't know how history tells us. I need to get I need a Canadian on this show in the future. Um they have a back and forth match. It's a big Haas match, you know, 
he's given tests some undertaker's taken some himself but on ultimately undertaker wins this match as he should he wins it with the tombstone pile driver because he did it for america yeah essentially <laughs> And if you've ever seen the clip online of Undertaker trying to hit Tess with the last ride, you know why he wins at the Tombstone Pop Driver. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And probably the biggest thing to me that was uh, that was very odd, Undertaker's holding the flag backwards. As <laughs> 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 he celebrates He was, match. yeah. He backwards. I was like, all right. You know they hold it upside down, right? Like they hold it backwards too. <laughs> like so, they got to live with that in DVD moments and all this stuff like that. But the American badass beats the Canadian destroyer or something. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to, I guess Raw's main event on this show. And if we're up to Triple H, it would be the main event of the show. It damn near is. I mean, <laughs> it's the longest match on the card by far. It gets the most toys. It gets the best, one of the best video packages they've ever done. Yeah. Uh, it's a Shawn Michaels in ring return. How did you guys feel back then regarding? Because I didn't start watching WWE until essentially after Shawn Michaels came. And I've seen a lot of Shawn Michaels. I've heard all about the Iron Man matches. I saw maybe the Mind Games match because everyone loves to talk about that match with with, um, with Mankind. Mankind, yeah. Um, but I've never seen Shawn. This is the first time I'm seeing Shawn Michaels like kind of like wrestle live in you know, in thing. What did you feel? And and I don't know Noback if you were watching when Shawn Michaels was you know around as well. Um, but how did you guys feel about his return to the ring? It was a fucking huge angle. I mean, this was one of the one of my favorites. He had basically, you know, again, there was some there was some stop and start shit, obviously, with like the NWO and all that shit. But like this was to me really I was I was like, yo, he's he's really fucking back. And um I was just wor- worried about that. I think they really heightened up the the fact that his back wasn't in and you know in it wasn't in the best shape. And I think I was more worried about him because again, I'm, I'm young. I, I still was thinking a lot of this shit was a, was a, uh, was actually a shoot. Yeah. Um, I was kind of the same way. I thought the angle where he joined the NWO, it didn't last long, obviously, but I think that the reveal was done well. And that was my first, like, Oh, I've heard of this Shawn Michaels guy before he was the commissioner. I know he was a great wrestler. Um, at that point, you know, I think one of my more vivid memories was the Austin match at Mania 14 where he dropped the title. So that was really my only, like, strongest memory of him in ring. So it was more just the lore telling me how good he was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I didn't like Triple H just because, I mean, what person liked Triple H at that point in time? I mean, I know he was coming off of the quad injury. Um, <laughs> I, I was a Triple H fan. I, I was, but I, I was, mean, I mean, as like a as like a ten year old, you know, where he was beating all my favorite wrestlers in two thousand. It was like, okay, I, I want to see this guy, you know, get his ass, beat. and you know the the whole, this guy. whole the whole angle and stuff like that. It was really it really worked for me, and it really got me to root for Shawn Michaels in this match. This is probably the blue. This is. The, I, there's so much stuff that's like influenced by, I guess, the Shawn Michaels return, right? So we talked. This is Gargano Champa. 
beyond just the footprint this match leaves, because it leaves a major footprint, especially in all the NXT blow-off feuds. Like, NXT, I'm sure they're shown this match. I'm sure they're told to reference this match, because Gargano Champa, um, even a little bit of O'Reilly Cole, um, I felt like they were they want to try to do it with Roxanne and Cora. That's where I was going to point, yep. Right, and, and, and kind of get to this point, this very, very heated point, whereas... Um, Beyond that itself, I think this is also a blueprint for a lot of wrestlers coming back themselves. I mean, you look at the return of over the last decade and who did it better. I mean, Shawn Michaels returned from a supposedly debilitating back injury and um, returned and looked better than ever. Like this match is a is a stable because he returned from what was thought was to be career ending. And it's one of the best performances that probably a wrestler has ever given, ever, in my opinion. Not, it, not even just in terms of, like, in-ring, like, does he have the skills or not? Because we all know Shawn Michaels has the skill. But in terms of performance, selling the back, um, that moment he does the kip-up, and you can feel it's like the adrenaline is going through him, and he's jumping up in the air, and he's going like that. And that's a believable moment, even though that's, like, completely wild to think because he just got his back thrown through a chair like 80 million times. But the adrenaline is running through him enough where he's like, he's picking up and he's picking up the pace and he's, he's doing this and he's grabbing shoot. Like I felt like he felt like this was his last match um, ever, which at some point it was Um, the Shawn Michaels return. I'm doing a lot of research on this has been in the works since early 2001. Yeah. Originally wanted Mm -hmm. him to for the WrestleMania that year, he gets into the big fight with Triple H backstage. He's super drunk. You know, Triple H and him don't talk for a while. Um, he eventually clears his life up, gets his demons in order, does a nice little confidential special to like kind of like ease us yep. into, like, damn, how did Shawn Michaels return? Well, you know, he's a man of Christ now. Um, and, and we lean into that kind of thing. So it builds up to this point. And I guess the NWO thing was supposed to be a thing, and I'm not sure where it would have landed. Um, I feel like maybe it would landed terribly. There was no way that shit was was going to go off. Does it end up, if the NWO thing goes, does Shawn Michaels still have that return? I'm I'm sure he still has this return match, but like, who does he have it against? You know, right? Um. If Stone Cold's still there, does he have a rematch with Stone Cold? Does he still have it with Triple H if Triple H moves to Raw? Does Triple H become part of the NWO? Like, what actually happens, you know, if the NWO doesn't completely disintegrate um, is yet to be known, but they managed to still incorporate him. And I'm not sure if they had anything for Triple H for SummerSlam at this point, which is weird to say. Um, but Shawn Michaels was available, and they wanted to have the Shawn Michaels match. And the man came out in his best Christian shirt and some, you know, hard denim <laughs> and cowboy boots and put on one of the best in-ring things that I've ever seen. And um, it's just it's just wow. Like this match is just wow to me. No, it's 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 definitely one of my favorite matches between the two. They, this I do not think this is it. Right. This They, they have like at least two no, more they have a million fucking more. No, they have a million. Yeah. They have a bunch more. <laughs> they have a more, because then he, then you got the elimination chamber year and all that other shit. But um, 
that's literally like two months from now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, in, that's in November. They do the 47-minute Hell in a Cell at, in 2004, which is really bad, but... Yeah, they they do it a lot. Indulgent, very indulgent. And um, what I think as far as this, Triple H bleeds like he's in a, a fucking Michael Myers movie in this, in this shit. Like, he is... <laughs> He looks fucking. He lost a lot of blood in this match. This is almost yes. thirty minutes. Um, uh, so many spots to name. I mean, there, there's, uh, there's a ch- table that comes out. Um, there's a lot of chair stuff. Uh, Ladder. There, there, there's a really, a really interesting moment where he does an abdominal stretch, and he does it in a street fight. But it makes sense that they put on uh, the Triple H puts the abdominal stretch on because of his back. And it's like, obviously mm-hmm. like, yes, that's going to hurt. And it, like, I, I love the psychology behind that. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a great match and it showed how devious Triple H was, but it also told like this real, like, yo, this guy is fighting. And it also felt like Sean Mike, this felt like Sean Michaels truly believed that this would be his only match, his last match that he goes out on. Because he's pulling out things from his career. I mean, the ladder, you know, into the ladder match at WrestleMania, you know, thing. He's doing elbow drops. He's doing splashes. He's doing super kicks. He's kicking out of stuff. Um, he, I, I mean, they didn't know how good he would be until he showed them how good they would be. And then at this point, next year, he's wrestling full time. He's full time on the road. He caught the um, bug. He caught the yeah. bug. You know. Yeah. Like- that's how you get them back. You just you just do one and you catch the bug, man. Everyone who does it, it comes back one time. Like, look at Edge. I mean, look at everybody. Edge. Everybody who comes back is just like, all right, I need I need a lot more of this. The one thing from this match that's probably different than every other viewing that I saw is the post-match stuff. So Shawn Michaels wins with an incredulous, you know, roll-up and in a street fight. By all means, but he managed to escape with the victory. It's still a great, it was still a great match, nonetheless. So I look at the sledgehammer spot. I've been looking in my mind. I'm like, yo, how did they do the sledgehammer spot without fully breaking this man's spine? <laughs> man, this is like the first time I really looked at it. Maybe it was the first time me viewing it on the new TV. The top? Doesn't he hold the top of it? Nah, that shit is like. I think it's literally like styrofoam with like <laughs> electrical tape around. It. <laughs> if you really look at the, if you really look at the the hammer part, that shit is not a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What the fuck?" I it, it, now it changes it for me because I always like he literally holds it up and like bangs it straight in his back. I was like, "How does his spine not break into a million fucking pieces?" Don't, How do don't you do too closely at the two by four then, because. No. <laughs> <laughs> The shit is, I mean, I looked at it for the first time. I was like, I can't believe I got tricked by this hammer for 20 years. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I mean, great match. Great way to to end, to put out Shawn Michaels. Um, and I'm not sure if they had Survivor Series in mind when they ended this match. But he does. And he has one of the greatest returns ever in the year 2002 and that's that um main event time i was yeah i was so shook i was so shook of this main event because i was like rocket rock ain't gonna lose right there's no way he loses to this new guy i don't even like this guy he looks like he looks like a dweeb and how (laughs) how how shocked was i (laughs) 
boy, they had me ready to run through a wall with a lot of stuff in this match. And I'm, 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 I'm trying to pull out some clips right now. Um, not of the actual match itself, but the, the series that they aired on, uh, on Confidential before this. Boy, they had me ready to run through a wall. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull this up. I'm not going to air the audio, but they show essentially this, you know, the training thing of The Rock. And, you know, he's like, oh, you know, won the Undisputed Championship and now we're going and he's uh, he's training on the football field. Oh, I got to get quicker. I got to get faster, you know, <laughs> to hit the people's elbow. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta run up all these steps, you know what I mean? I need to. I'm, he's running up um the the citrus bowl. Yeah, Drago versus Rocky shit right here. Yeah, he's running up. He's doing these box jumps. jumps. Yeah, <laughs> he used to do box jumps. You know that's how he uh lays that in that rock bottom really hard. Um, this is just incredible. I was ready to run through a wall at this point. Um, when they showed this, I was so hype. And then they show I got I, I got the Brock Lesnar one too because the Brock Lesnar one is like fucking insane. I was like, you are you're built out of like granite and stuff like that. Um, Brock Lesnar shows up. Uh, I got it right now. Come on. This guy, he's got the log. He's picking up a whole tree and running up the side of a fucking mountain with it. You know what I'm saying? You look at that, you be like, man, what the rock doing ain't, ain't shit <laughs> compared to this. <laughs> yeah, the heavy bag. The heavy bag. What do they need to do this for? I don't know. So I can lay in those punches to the rock. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't even like strike him that much in the match. No. The chairs. What does he need the chairs for? Extreme pushes. It's like it's like RVD when he had the chairs spread out and stretched across. Yeah, he had the split across them. Yeah, the drill. And so he pops the hips. So Taz could tell him how fast he's popping his hips. It's <laughs> <laughs> with the hips, baby. You know, got to be quick with it. You got the bands. Listen, he's a. We all seen the picture of him in the bathroom. <laughs> he carries them bands everywhere. <laughs> So he has some extreme spine busters, and then um, they I think they finish off with the ice, of course. Yeah, he jumps into the ice bath. The ice bath at this point, Kevin Hart does this every week, you know. This is insane. They showed all of this leading up to him. He does this for 10 minutes. He was like, Yes, this is for fast recovery, <laughs> clearly. Okay, he's such a worker, man. Brock is such a fucking worker. <laughs> There's no one that I feel as though has been more cut out for this industry in any industry he's ever done than Brock Lesnar. He's just naturally prepared for this shit. Like, he understands how this type of shit works. And you see that in this match. Like, he had he had the wherewithal. He had the mental to make this type of shit work. And, and, it, and it, really it really shouldn't have been as good as this match was, especially for how, how green he was. Absolutely. Um, this match is just, to me, 
I wouldn't say it's a it's not the best match on the card, but it's still damn good for a main event. This was worth it for the main event. I remember watching this with my friends and seeing my friends. I'm you know I'm the big The Rock guy. Seeing my friends essentially like nah, but Brock Lesnar is that motherfucker, man. Like Brock Lesnar is insane, and watching them change in real time um, was incredible. Uh, both of these guys are at their athletic peaks. As you can see in the video that we just shown of them working out there in their complete athletics peaks during this. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Rock is still at his athletic peak, right? Yes. Well, Black, Adam, Black Adam in stores now. You look like a giant thumb. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, one thing we talk about Brock a lot in this match The Rock, he is there. If there's a man who I guess doesn't have the ego, that Austin necessarily has when it comes to this, <laughs> or Triple H has, or Hogan has. This man put him over clean, well, damn near clean as a whistle. No, you know, no promise of a rematch. It was as clean as you could get, you know, considering Rock is one of your biggest stars. I think if it would have been anyone else, they probably wouldn't, have, they probably would have had the same thing happen to them, but. I think you look at just some of the things Rock allowed in the match. I mean, the double kip up is like, yes, it's like, all right, <laughs> this guy's for real. And, and it was perfect. I think I, literally perfect. Um, the you start to hear and the, here, one thing we're missing here, right? The crowd mm -hmm. knew Rock yep. was about to leave. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it shapes the match a little bit differently. I as a kid, I didn't know he was about to leave. So I was wondering why they turned on him. And they're, they're, there's let's go Lesnar chance, and they get louder and louder and louder and louder mm -hmm. as the match goes on. I was not as tapped in as Nassau Coliseum was. Because <laughs> I also didn't know The Rock was leaving. But to me, I guess the reason why I feel like at least my friends in my own house turned on Rock real time, because Brock Lesnar was fucking awesome. The double kip-ups, the F5s, the Brock lock. And I think a lot of it also has to do with the rock in this match, too. I think he puts on a great performance in this match as well. Um, from an athletic standpoint, kind of switching with the crowd. I think he recognizes the crowds, you know, booing him. And he turns up the aggression a little bit himself during this entire match. Puts on the shittiest sharpshooter that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> staring at the crowd. Um and at this point, they have to say, Brock Lesnar's strong-ass legs is able to break <laughs> the sharpshooter. I'm like, that's a shit-ass sharpshooter. That's why. Um, but this is the coronation of a star. This is like, this is the point where it's like, okay, he is the big thing from here on out. And you you see it as a point where um, you see it throughout history. I mean, you see it at WrestleMania 14. We talk about HBK versus Stone Cold Steve Austin and that kind of coronation moment. You have the Batista, Triple H, John Cena, JBL, WrestleMania 21, that coronation moment. What was Roman's coronation, Roman? He had so many. Yeah, he's had, he's had so many attempts. <laughs> yeah, the, the Rock one was supposed to be the one. Yeah. Uh, then there was when he beat Sheamus. Uh, but then, it, or no, it, it wasn't Sheamus. It, what, the confetti. Yeah, he got yeah that, was that, was, the, that was at the, uh, it was at the Rumble. The Rock. Yeah, well, that, that was December. That was December 2014 because then they make him put the title on the line in the Royal Rumble after that. Right. So it was, it was, yeah. Bad. Um, beating Brock that first time at Mania oh. was one of them. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think we get a proper coronation. You know what his coronation was? Him getting those titles this year at WrestleMania. That to me was like, hey, mm-hmm. okay, we we forget. This is the forgiveness. You know what I'm saying? This is like, please forgive us for fucking this up so many times before. Because I mean, I think one mania he was going against fucking Drew, and I, but he had just come yep. back. But like, you yep. know, it, yep. it, he he's had so many, and and I think when when it's said and done with Roman, he's the most fascinating top guy ever, right? Because they got it wrong so many times with Roman and allowed guys like Seth to come within striking distance of him, allowed mm-hmm. guys like Daniel Bryan to come within striking distance of him. And he had so many times that he had gotten kind of put to the side. I, I, I'll say like the punk podcast is one of those moments where it was like, yo, the, this guy should not be the guy. And they kept going for it. So it's like, he's one of the only top guys that I feel like got so many multiple fucking coronations to a point where I don't even remember all of them. <sighs> Agree. And I think as far as this match goes, I love it. Um, I've always liked the double kip up, kip up spot. I've loved the, the Brock bottom. I love the rock bottom on Heyman through the table. Yeah. It's a great spot. Paul, yeah, Paul Heyman driven through the damn table. Um, it's a great call by Cole. Um, I think this is one of his better called matches of that era. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a great star making performance by rock who, like you guys said, you needed, I think they needed somebody who, you know, didn't have that ego or edge to them because that was something that they were just dealing with constantly from their top guys mm-hmm. that year. So they were able to do what they needed to do with Brock. And I mean, as far as coronations go, I think it's like, it's like this, um, Charlotte at mania 32, I know mm. that one's debated constantly about who should have won, but I think they made the right decision there. I think yeah. any any decisions I've I've held this point, any decisions involving Charlotte or like Sasha, it doesn't really get a little weirder until that fall. Right. Um, but and I, I think also Bianca this year with Becky, mm-hmm. especially after, you know, she came up, she beat Bailey, she beat Sasha, then she beat Becky at the the big stage. So that was sort of like this this and Charlotte and Roman are like the most like, okay, we're driven to make these people it's gonna work and we're gonna make sure that it does, even though Roman, like you said, there were so many times that they got it wrong. Yeah. Um, but this one, this is a great coronation. It's a it's a great cap to an all time great show. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And and not only that, all time great wrestler. I, I mean yes. when done. They gave him Hogan. They gave him Austin. It was supposed to be over there. It was supposed to be Austin. They gave him Hogan and Rock, and it ended up working out. And and it, he ended up being a legend based off of those wins. And what what a fucking moment! I was my jaw was dropped when I was younger watching this shit. I was like, yo, I cannot believe they did that. Then I then I realized that Rock didn't show up the next day, and I said, oh okay. <laughs> so <there's, laughs> that's why. <laughs> now nah, Rock's gone. Rock's gone, baby. You ain't coming back. Um such a banger of a show man like from top to bottom um this is the i I got the before we go i'll do the wrestling observer news report thing that i always do every episode let's see what the observer is saying um about this show um says SummerSlam is in the books will go down as one of the most well-received shows in company's history 99.7 percent thumbs up from observer readers wow can't be that fucking nine bro um, I don't think that's ever happened since. <laughs> yeah. He says, in something of a surprise, there's a mixed reaction with Lesnar getting a lot of cheers and Rock being booed mercilessly, mercilessly at times. 
the chance that Rocky sucks. I, I, they, I wonder why they read your fucking your fucking newsletter. That's why they fucking did that. They're <laughs> <laughs> acting surprised for it. That's how they knew. Dave suspects it's the response to feeling a fans feeling like Rock is selling out because everyone knows he's got one foot in Hollywood door already. Rock was originally supposed to appear on Raw the night after SummerSlam at Madison Square Garden. He and Vince went back and forth about it all day. They decided to next angle, and The Rock did not repeat, appear. Um, probably because he would have got booed out the fucking building. Um, and he isn't back till early 2003. He isn't back till WrestleMania 19 time, same as Hogan. Nope. Um, I will never forget the, the, the actual entrance video for him. And I was just like, what the fuck? Is this and it ended up being him. <laughs> yeah, that the helicopter oh, there. It is one of the draft diaries, so we will get there. Um big story of the other other big story of SummerSlam show stealing a match from Shawn Michaels working his first WWE match in over four years. Um, he said that they even did an angle to keep the feud going. It was a street fight match, and John and Sean wore street clothes. Um he calls this one of the best show stealing performances, but gives the match a 4.25. <laughs> <laughs> um, other notes from SummerSlam is that each announced team, they gave them breaks. Jim Ross, particularly Shine. I do think Jim Ross and Lawler were a great part of that street fight. They're uh, being able to tell that story. Um, and then also Taz and Michael Cole for the main event as well. Um, doing a great job there. Um Let's see what else do we got here. I don't want to do quarterly economic report. <laughs> um, Linda McMahon talks about the quarterly report. Acknowledges that the buy rate for King of the Ring was extremely disappointing. It was main evented by Triple H and The Undertaker. <laughs> um, <laughs> WWE pocketed two point two million from the PTC lawsuit. Is that the pandas? Um, do, do, do. Doesn't look like anything major. Oh, it was the it was the it was the parents television and media council, I think. Right, right, right. right. Yes, you're right. Um, overall revenues in almost every category of the business are higher now for the WWE than they ever were for WCW, even at its peak. Point being, despite how awful the product has been for the last year, and as much as it looks like they're copying all of WCW's mistakes, they're still plenty stable. WWE hasn't had a money losing quarter in five years. WCW lost eighty million dollars in one year. <laughs> so, do you think hey. about how much money wrestling makes today? Today, it's more than that. <laughs> like that's just insane, bro. Tiger Ali Singh Jeez. and his father Tiger Jeet Singh filed lawsuits against the WWE this week, <laughs> seeking eight million dollars. Um, he says the younger Singh was released by WWE earlier this year after signing a rumored 10-year contract in 1996. How did he get that off? Um, the older Singh was signed at the same time. was supposed to become WWE's international booking agent to help book the shows in the Middle East and India. Um, uh, Tiger Ali Singh was given big wins over Mankind and Bret Hart and won the Kuwait, Kuwait Cup when he first debuted. Um, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. It's, uh, yeah. Wrongful termination, he's saying. Um, claim he suffered an injury for working for WWE that sent, him, um, that sent him to work for, and he suffered the injury because he was forced to work outside in the rain because he was forced to work at Puerto Rico, essentially. Um, let's see what else they have out here. Uh, Goldberg's wrestling in Japan. 
<laughs> Ultimo Dragon um, promotion. Didn't even know he had a promotion. Shout out to him. Um, 12,000 seat arena. Shout out to him. Um, let's see. ROH has another successful show with a sellout of 500 people. So, hey, man. <laughs> hey, they, they would start selling out 1,200 people. I mean, that, it's, it's humble beginnings. Things still ain't looking good for NWA TNA. They canceled tapings for the 9 4 show and instead of air highlights of past X Division matches. <laughs> it's literally like six weeks old. Um, so, they said. Decision to cancel and change all these tapings was literally made at the last minute, which naturally has a lot of wrestlers concerned about the future of the promotion. It costs less t- it costs TNA less to do tape shows than live ones, but tape shows don't do many buys either because they're on the weekly pay-per-view format. Um, Jerry, Jatter, Jerry Jarrett later admitted that this was a moment where he had thrown in the towel bills at this exact time. The Panda Energy negotiations began and the rest is history. So yeah. Um, ability for the next 10 years, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Stone Cold Steve Austin files for a divorce from Deborah. Um, let's see. Goldberg did a big, this is probably be my last point. Goldberg did a big interview in Japan that touched on a few things. He mentioned he had a meeting planned with Vince McMahon months ago, but then he injured his arm and they canceled the meeting since he wasn't going to be able to wrestle soon anyway. Um, Said he's just started trading last month. He said his biggest issue with going to the WWE is a schedule because Vince wants full time and Goldberg ain't feeling that. He wants to pick and choose his spots and only work major shows. For years, Goldberg has talked about putting together his own one off where he and Steve Austin could face each other, but he wants them to co promote it together without WWE's involvement. Uh, In the past, <laughs> that, was, that was obviously impossible and still probably is. Yep. Even though Austin walked out, he's still under contract with WWE, and they are not going to let him go without a fight. And the contract does not expire huh. anytime soon. There so, it is. You know, Goldberg was on that stuff. Um, oh, and X Pac was released. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> There's a lot of notes. X Pac was released. Um, he did not like feeling there. He'll show up in TNA in like a couple weeks. Um, and that's it. Oof. Okay, that was a lot. SummerSlam 2002, Draft Diaries. We ate a lot, we talked a lot, we did a lot of things, man. Thank you, Novak, for coming through, of course. Always a, always a pleasure. Always. J5, as always. Yes, sir. Welcome anytime. Um, the next episode will be the last episode before we go on a break. So this is a nine-episode season. We're going to take a break after the fifth one. Going to take a couple weeks off, come back. The next episode is a fun one. It is the SmackDown where Billy and Chuck <laughs> exchange <laughs> nuptials. Oh, and it's, let me tell you. It had to be seen to be believed. It had to be seen to be believed, seen to be heard. The amount of, God, this was another time. This was a different era where we're going to be talking about the publicity stunts. And this is overall the SmackDown 6 era of WWE, um, but we'll be, be talking about specifically that show where Billy and Chuck, wow. 
Um, but thank you guys for tuning in. Of course, you can continue to subscribe to The A Show on The A Show on RNT Radio on all platforms. And also follow us on Twitter at The A Show RNT. You can follow myself at Mills TV. You can follow J5 at OG Johnny 5. And you can follow Chris at Chris M. Novak. Am I yes? Yep. There you go. And you can follow them there um, and support everything that they go going on. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. You won't see us next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Take care. It's all been done before And if you could only let it be You would see I like you the way you are When we're driving in your car And you're talking to me one-on-one But you become somebody else Round everyone else You're watching your back Like you can't relax You're trying to be cool You look like a Like you're something else Where you are and where it's at You see, you're making me Laugh out when you strike your pose Take off all your preppy clothes You know you're not fooling anyone When you become somebody else Could only